and welcome to week 20 of the 52 Week Film Project. This week, me and Jake ventured out into the wilderness of London and we then came across the BFI Film Festival, which we are reviewing two films from this week. My name is Will, this is Jake. How are you doing, buddy? Hey, mate. Yeah, I'm really, really good. We did. We, we, we braved the dark, cold streets of London in October, mate. I know. We did things a good we'll job. This, things, things we'll do for this podcast. <laughs> it was so <laughs> cold. It was just it's just bracing. It, winter is truly mate, think, mate, mate, No, no, I disagree. It's fluctuating so much, man. Like when I was walking to work this morning, it was absolutely freezing. And then when I actually got to work and I walked out, I stepped out for lunch. It felt like a day in July. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It, this is the thing. It's just I. I got told that I, we were going to have an Indian summer, and so uh, in October. So this is us now. We're just we. Our climate's fucked. Yeah, it is. It's it's just a, a Russian roulette as to what you're going to get each day. Yeah, literally. Um, but but anyway, enough pontificating about the weather. Um, let's hit into the news section. What have you got for us this week, mate? Uh, okay, my first bit of news um, concerns the new World War Z two film. Uh, have you heard about this in pre-production? Uh, no, I haven't. So are they, are, they, are they starting to film a sequel? Well, they are trying to start to film a sequel. Um, I've got a sort of timeline of events which has happened from here. Um, so the original director called Mark Foster said that the film would make a great trilogy, um, saying it'd be like Bourne meets The Walking Dead. But since June 2013, they've been trying to do this sequel. They've had three or four different directors... Um, they've then got to David Fincher in 2017, and then, and then out of the blue, David Fincher decides to do um, Riverdale. No, it's not Riverdale. Mindhunter, and then filming was then delayed again. And then to this month, October, uh, the producer Deed Gardner has confirmed that the sequel would begin filming in June 2019. So from 2013 to 2019, this film has been in pre-production. And it's been like it's it's had lots of ups and downs in terms of its journey to make the film. So I'm not sure it's going to end up in being quite a good product. I'm not too sure. I I, I mean I'm going to be honest. Like, did we need a World War Z sequel? No, I like, don't think does, it did anything. Does anyone, to... does anyone really care? No, it did nothing to break reinvent or break the wheel as a film. So, so but see the thing is, like, I know people that really loved that film. I just really didn't think it was that great. Mm. Like for me, it was such a by the numbers action thriller. Like it, it kind of it, it took for me. It took so much of what made I Am Legend good, and it just made its own generic version. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong; they are quite different. But like, I just feel like it. It, it, it was a film that stole so many ideas and didn't really have much authenticity for mm. me personally. Well, David Fincher about game behind the product is is exciting. So I'm excited to see yeah, what that he is- does with it. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you that. That is pretty cool. Mindhunter, which you dropped in there, fucking brilliant TV show. Right? Yeah. Surely we should be he- surely we should be hearing from Netflix soon about a season two. Yeah, and then and then in which case week thirty five of the of the podcast will be doing that. Yeah, yeah, it could be our second or our third TV series review by then because you know we had some good feedback from the Maniac episode, which was really good stuff. Yeah, um, it was, it was a great episode think- to do. Yeah, I mean, we were very like, I mean, mate, we were more confusing than the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We were hey! dotting back, and forth. <laughs> <laughs> we were back and forth through the season. We had no structure to it at all. But if people liked it, that's great. Um, my first bit of news is just like, I'm fanboying really hard here um, over just the tackiest like upcoming film. Basically, Will, Fast and Furious is still going strong in like its ninth movie or whatever. And The Rock and Jason Statham 
are now involved in a spin-off film called Hobbs and Shaw, which are the names of their respective characters in the Fast and Furious franchise. Right. Um, and they've announced... They've started filming um, in London. They're filming currently. And they've announced the villain in the film. And the villain who is going up against The Rock and Jason Statham is none other than Idris Elba. Oh, dear me. That'll be so Mate, exciting. It's uh, so great. And not only that, but he is called Brixton. He's called Brixton? And he, he is called Brixton. <laughs> and the, the Rock described it as so cool having my brother Idris Elba come and play in our sandbox. Oh, they're so cute. But they're also not. They're Adorable, terrifying. but... Adorable, but kind of brawny at the same time. Yeah, exactly. What you want in a man? Or a woman, I suppose. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Brains and and brawn. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. No, Idris Elba in that film will be fantastic. I'd like the idea of a Fast and Furious film starring Idris Elba generally. It makes me, makes me very excited. Just, just more of Idris Elba being a villain. I love it. Yeah, very, very true. Um, More of his directing as well. Yardy. Mm, yeah, you did give a you did give a good review of that. I did. Well, I tried my best. Uh, what should, <laughs> what, yeah, that was like that was a five minute roundup, wasn't it? That one. Yeah, five minute roundup. Didn't have much um, clue about what I was doing, but it kind of worked. Kind of yeah. worked. Yeah, no, it was good. It was good. I mean, I still haven't seen it, mate. I really need to get on and watch it. Anyway, what's your next bit of news? Um, so this is less of a piece of news. Um, it's more of a um, um, t- talking point. Um, me and Jake went to to went to the BFI this week, and the second film we saw, Aquarela. Um, it was based in View Leicester Square Cinema. And as we were like waiting around, getting a beer, you know, all the things you do when you're watching a film, uh, we mm-hmm. saw the trailer to The Nutcracker uh, and The Four Realms, which we never knew was happening. We'd never, I, don't think it, I don't think it ever come across my radar. I don't know about you. Mate, no, I, I hadn't seen anything about this film until we saw it on the big screen in that cinema. And it looks like it has a huge budget. It looks massive. Yeah, it really, really does. Um, so I've just got some information about it, which is quite exciting. Um, go on, go so on, mate, do share. So it's directed uh, by Lassie Halstrom and Joe Johnston. Uh, Lassie Halstrom um, is most famous from directing all of ABBA's music videos, which is very yeah. interesting. He's also directed Salmon Fishing in the Yemen, Chocolat, and What's Eating Gilbert Grape. Um, so he's a quite accomplished director. Um uh, well, I, I think quite accomplished and also quite critically acclaimed director. And then also Joe Johnston, uh, who is a master at sort of special effects films in the early 90s and 80s. So Honey, I Trunk the Kids, Jumanji, Jurassic Park 3, and then recently Captain America, the first Avenger. And the film will star Kira Knightley, Richard E. Grant, Miranda Hart, Jack Whitehall, Morgan Freeman and Her- Helen Mirren. Just a just a very yeah. interesting film. I'm not sure if I'm going to like it. I'm, uh, the second trailer came out and I was a bit more dampened, but the visuals are just breathtaking. I th- I find. Yeah, it does look good. It looks quite um. It t- well, I mean, I, I'm only thinking back to about a 10 second glimpse of it, but it, it it looked a bit Alice in Wonderland to me. Yeah, very that. Very very that. 
Um, but it's it's out on like the second of November, isn't it? So we should try and catch that. Yeah, we should do. We should do. We'll do it after Halloween, and that'll be a real change of uh, tone and pace. Yeah, it will. It will. We need to actually speak of Halloween. We need to review the Halloween film at some point in the next couple of weeks. Indeed. That's out soon, Indeed. Isn't it? Indeed. Um, the remake. Uh, my next bit of news um, is quite interesting. Um, we've spoken about James Gunn a few times in the last month or so. Kind of discussed. Um, his his being fired from Marvel and uh, no longer being the writer and director of Guardians of the Galaxy three, mm-hmm. um, he's not really shown any signs to be reinstated um, as that director or in Marvel in general, which is a real shame. However, it's kind of a blessing in disguise uh, because it's come out this week that James Gunn will be writing and most likely directing Suicide Squad two. Damn. Which is which is really really cool. Um, the response from everyone has been like, oh, what a shrewd move from DC. Like Marvel, you really fucked up letting him leave, um, or well, kicking him out the door. To be fair, um, he kind of a lot of a lot of people thought when Suicide Squad was kind of first being kind of built up as a movie, um, a lot of people thought they should have gone to him in the first place to direct. Uh, because apparently people think it suits his style a lot more than Guardians originally did. Um, but this is going to be... It's going to be a continuation of the same cast for Suicide Squad. Um, but it's going to very much be kind of like a reinvigorated new approach. Um, which is really cool. I think it's exactly what they need. I think I'm one of the people who, well, like everyone else, agrees that Suicide Squad was shit. And it had the potential to be so good. Um, but I, I'm not one of the people that thinks it had to be all R-rated to be good. I just think it needed to be funnier. Um, I think it all fell so flat in terms of humour, and I think hopefully, if anything, James will bring that kind of like that classic kind of camaraderie kind of banter um, that he's kind of known for into the into the world of Suicide Squad. Yeah, I think so too. I think. I think it'll be the film that we wanted to see first time round. We wanted to see yeah. James Gunn's Suicide Squad as Suicide Squad. And I think that's why we were so let down. So fingers crossed. Because it was never a problem with the cast. Maybe Cara Delevingne. She was interesting as oh, the Enchantress. She, she was awful, man. <laughs> she was so, so bad. Um, but no, like, yeah, I, I agree. I think what will probably happen is it would have taken about five or six years. But we'll finally get the, the Suicide Squad film that we wanted. Um, well, I can't wait for oh. it. Um, my next yeah. piece of film news: um, there has been the new Aladdin trailer. Um, so Will Smith on on Twitter this week released a photo um, of the um, the poster, and then the trailer was revealed after this. Um, I was going to say I, I put in my notes: Will Smith is the power. I don't know why. I think I just kind of assumed because of his. <laughs> sort of, I know I liked it. I think it's I assumed because of like his his uh, now his new vlogs and etc. That he probably did it. I have this wonderful romantic image of Will Smith um, releasing the poster photo just on a whim, and then Disney execs having to scramble after him. But I don't. Yeah, I, that's probably imagine. not true. But I. But I just. I would love that. Um, doing do like a doing like a vlog unboxing of the Aladdin DVD that's not not even been fucking made yet. Oh yeah, he's such a rebel though. He would do it. Um, so this is a film by Guy Ritchie. Um, it follows many of the same beats as the previous film. Um, the trailer itself did not give much away. It was more of a teaser than a trailer. Um, it stars uh, Men- Menem Masood as the entitled Aladdin. Uh, Princess Jasmine as Naomi Scott. 
um, and then Will Smith's genie, um, and then Marwan Kenzari as Jafar. Um, the teaser only really focuses on Mena Masood. Um, it doesn't really show any other characters. It shows him going into the cave and finding the lamp um, and some lovely desert shots. So we, I, it, we've got more to come. I'm very excited to see like a fully realised trailer of this film. I'd love to see some Will Smith as the genie. Um, it's a shame that it wasn't in this teaser. But overall, I'm getting very, very excited about it. Yeah, I think they definitely know that Will is kind of going to be like the ace up their sleeve. Exactly. Um, it, it's kind of with all these live action Disney films, I think they've all got their kind of hidden ace, haven't they? I think for the Dumbo film, the Tim Burton Dumbo film, it's going to be that like dodgy dream sequence that yep. Dumbo has in it. Like they're going to keep that like fucking under wraps until the film comes out, um, or maybe you know do the classic thing of getting a bit desperate and releasing like a fourth trailer like a week before the film comes out. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah no yeah it should be good should be good yeah very excited about it um i don't know if it's gonna be a musical though that's what i'm that's the other thing is it well, gonna... is the original aladdin film a musical it is indeed well it's got a, it's got it's a sort of disney musical so it's like it's got about 10 10 12 songs on it but mm, okay. still yeah because it had leia salonga who was the um first ever miss saigon um who was the voice of princess jasmine um and that the reason they cast her is because she can sing sing real good as they say in the street, real good. Seeing real good. Real good. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I've never seen Will Smith sing. I know he's a bloody good dancer. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, cool. Um, I have a really lighthearted bit of news to end on this week. Um, <laughs> basically, Liam Neeson, just gentleman after all of our hearts, um, has come out in a recent interview about his time filming uh, an upcoming film called The Man Who Killed Don Quixote, um, which is kind of set... Will, correct me if I'm wrong, because you know more about this film than me, but I think it's kind of set in the Wild West, right? Yes, it is set in the Wild West, and it's based on a epic novel, which is huge. And I think it's also... it's It's been in production hell since around about the 80s or 70s. Um, Terry Gilliam has been wanting to do it for years and years and years. Um, and it's just never got around to doing it. And this is his, it, it's, he's now doing it. Excellent. Well, um, <laughs> completely, g- completely aside from the point of the film at all, uh, Liam Neeson was in an interview, actually, I think at the BFI Film Festival, because it's being shown there. Uh, I think it was shown there a couple of days ago. Um, but he, he recounted this anecdote about how the horse that he worked with on the film remembered him from previous times they've worked together no um, that's the most adorable thing in the world it it is absolutely adorable um and he said he apparently the the horse whinnied when he saw liam and poured the ground and uh liam he didn't specify what film he worked on with this horse in the past um but apparently used to like feed him apples all the time to the point where like the horse trainer got really frustrated because he was giving him way too much food um i just thought it was absolutely adorable what a uh, what a lovely light-hearted story in hollywood um but i then when i was finding the article to kind of read up on this before us us doing this episode i found another article which has come out which is great um called six horses that might remember liam neeson <laughs> Oh dear! Just, um, just well, th- well. Think it, about the amount. Just... Of, think about the people like who worked on War Horse and stuff like that. 
Imagine if like one guy who does a film again with Warhorse, and there's just like <laughs> thirty or forty horses. They're like, my, my love, my love. It'll be great. Well, mate, mate, this horse, this article's great because what like the first one of the six horses in the six horses that might remember Liam Neeson is the horse from Schindler's List in 1993. Oh my gosh! <laughs> and this guy's written Liam Neeson rode a horse in Schindler's List. Could that horse remember him? Or would the passage of time have eroded its fond memories, leading to an awkward confrontation between the two? Yeah, God. <laughs> how many how many horses have you ridden since, Liam? I probably meant <laughs> nothing to you. Uh, amazing. What a lovely story. Um, I've got a bit of um, a, a new story to end, which is a bit less um, happy and positive. But it's really not, interesting. Not, not quite so adorable. Yep. This okay, is breaking right, news on, on the fact that I didn't prepare this story, but I, but, um, I got told about it earlier today. And then um, I've just I've just read about it like about 10, 15 minutes before um, we did the podcast. And it's fascinating. Uh, so today, Nicole, Nicole Kidman did a, uh, an interview. Um, have you, did you know about this at all? No, no, no. I don't know anything about no. this far away. So, so Nicole Kid- Kidman did an interview and she is it's talking. It's talking about it's a self-told essay published in New York magazine. And she is essentially talking about like her life, her previous marriages, etc. And what she says is that because she was married to Tom Cruise uh, from 1990 to 2001, she says this, being married to Tom Cruise at 22 is something I'm always reluctant to talk about. That said, I got married very young, but it definitely wasn't power for me. It was protection. I married for love, but being married to an extremely powerful man kept me away from being sexually harassed. I would work, but I was still very much cocooned. So when I came out of it at 32, 33, it's almost like I had to grow up. I just find that fascinating. The idea that Nicole Kidman, Kid, Kidman didn't really marry for love. She married so that the industry wouldn't attack her and judge her. I don't, that's, su- that's such a sad indictment on the, t- the film and television industry that that's the step she'd have to take. Yeah, no, it's it's quite an intense thing to say in an interview for sure. Yeah, um, definitely. I I think. So. I mean, how 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 old is she now? Um, oh, I don't know. I think she's about she's about forty fifty. I think. Well, two thousand and one, okay. she was thirty two, thirty three. So she's yeah. So she's around about forty, forty five. Yeah. I mean, it's I for for me, I found it quite sad, but I also think that's a that's an interesting choice to not to not marry for love per se and marry for um for protection like especially being in the spotlight and then imagine all the interviews that she had to do and all the press junkets she had to do with him and they had to pretend their marriage marriage was based on the fact they'd fallen in love and it's and it kind of it's kind of to me kind of puts into question all these big power couples like brad and angelina or before that brad and jennifer aniston um and matt uh, sorry um what what's his name Ben Affleck and uh, Julie Gardner, who've now broken up. Like, is it because of these marriages are uh, marriages of convenience in a Hollywood world? It, it it just raised so many questions. Yeah, it does. Sorry, who did you say she was married to? Uh, she's now married to Keith Urban, who is a... Um, no, no, no. Who, who was she married to in this time where she said that she was Tom married Cruise. for protection? Tom Cruise, yeah. Strange man to choose to protect you. Well, I suppose, she, you, well um, I suppose with Cruise you get oh, him maybe and the she, Church maybe, of Scientology protecting you. Yeah, I know. You're, you're marrying you're marrying a state of mind. <laughs> you're marrying um, a state of mind. <laughs> I, mean, I just find I just find it so ironic, man. Like he's just he's so I I I, I love his acting to a degree. I find him quite entertaining. 
but like I mean fuck some of the stuff that Katie Holmes said happened when they were married like <laughs> weird yeah I know I know really really weird yeah so so sorry to um but that was such a lovely story about Liam Neeson and I feel like I've plunged it into the tabloid gutter but uh, that's what we do with the 52 week film projects <laughs> Yeah, I know. Do you think Nicole Kidman's taller than Tom Cruise? She probably is. Isn't oh, she? she's from what I from what I can tell, she's about six foot or something. Yeah. So definitely she's probably got a bit of probably got a bit of a kick out of that, didn't she? Well, <laughs> pro- no, because Tom Cruise probably brought a box where he went. So you know, <laughs> just had like platform sneakers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Eighteen inch platform sneakers. <laughs> um, anyway, um, good. Good stuff, somber stuff, strange stuff, as it always is with the news segment. <laughs> that, um, that's how we should rebrand it. The news segment, strange and somber. <laughs> strange and somber, and sometimes <laughs> funny. Yeah. Uh, so, as Will said, we were at the uh, London London Film Festival this this past week. Um, it's actually going on from the tenth of October until the twenty first, with everything from kind of like the like up-and-coming major like oscar-winning type films down to like short films documentaries kind of conversations on stage with like various different directors and uh producers um huge huge amount of things going on and a lot of it is kind of spread across the south bank area of london embankment area leicester square um, and for anyone who is interested, there are a lot of things that you can still buy tickets to. Some of them aren't that expensive. Some of them are quite expensive. So do go and have a look. It's the uh, BFI Film Festival. Have a look online and see what's going on. They've got a full kind of schedule of activities. Um, but me and Will, we, we went to see two things this past weekend. And we've got a few things coming up this coming week. Um, we went to see this weekend Been So Long. It was actually the world premiere of this film. Uh, it's a new movie coming out on Netflix on October 26th. It's uh, all shot and filmed in and around Camden in London. Um, and it's an adaptation of a musical. Um, very, very, very interesting. Um, yeah, it really was. It was, we... it, was, it, was, it was an interesting watch. Um, I really wanted to see it. I wanted to... Um, I really pushed, pushed that we go to this film. And... I think it was a really interesting watch. It was nice to see um, the cast, like Michaela Cole as Simone, being in a big, big feature film. Uh, It's the biggest. um, It's announced. It was announced in May 2017 that it was going to be a multi-million dollar deal with Film Four, and it's the biggest Netflix largest single acquisition of all time. Really messed that up. I'll do that again. Netflix's largest single acquisition of all time. Which is which made made me think that I was expecting a lot of big things from this film. I was expecting a lot of a big budget. I was expecting beautiful um, graphics. I was expecting it to be kind of indie and um, not mainstream. But it came out thinking very different. I thought that it was much more of a mainstream film than I thought. I love the characters. Um, it just, I mean, easy way to describe it maybe for me is a great film, terrible musical. Um, I don't know about you, Jake. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, interesting. So, I'm, so I mean, it is a very large acquisition for Netflix, which I've kind of I've struggled wrapping my head around because when we went, uh, we went to the Embankment Garden Cinema, which is kind of like this really high tech pop up cinema they've got there for oh, the next couple beautiful. of weeks. Beautiful, um, really, really stunning. A lot of famous people kind of milling around us. Me and Will were awfully underdressed. Um, <laughs> at what at at one point, I was waiting to get back into the cinema after stepping out to go to the loo. Um, and watched Daniel Kaluuya 
having a kind of semi-argument with the ticket attendants about the fact that he very obviously didn't have a ticket but was using the big I am approach. Um, that was very, very, very surreal. Um, we bring you the really, juicy really... gossip on 52 week film projects. I know, I know. He's a dickhead. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I had no idea. Like, he, it was just like, it, it was very, very strange. I just wandered out to go to the loo and to check the price of the drinks. Realised very quickly that it was £6.50 for a beer. And we're not even talking a pint, ladies and gentlemen. We're talking a 30, 330 milliliter beer. That's, because of hashtag I mean, London. Like, mate, what is that? Like 50p a sip? Uh, so I was like, <laughs> You have six that. sips and of I a was, pint. Oh, six big gulps, mate. Come on. <laughs> um, but no, like walk, make, walking my way back in and uh, yeah, watched watched the drama unfold with Daniel Kaluuya, an A-list celeb. Um, but no, the film was really great um, in terms of its casting. Uh, I think the acting was very good, but mm-hmm. as Will said, the kind of the musical aspect didn't really translate very well. Um, now a lot of that, the kind of like the the adaptation from musical to screenplay uh, was done by Arthur Darville, who, for anyone who is familiar, is the guy who plays Rory in Doctor Who, or did play Rory, um, which was quite a fascinating thing. I, I had no idea that he's kind of involved in that field, but clearly he's kind of quite a grassroots kind of theatre actor. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was obviously a big task for him to do. Um, it's quite a, it's quite a, it tries to be quite a trendy, hip, urban musical, uh, which I think me and Will both had a bit of a bugbear with because some of it comes off awfully cringy. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, it, it definitely it captures the the feel of Camden and the environment, and it, it's very it's it's a very vibrant film, and it's it's got like realistic people in there and it, it, it does feel very very it doesn't feel british it feels very london yeah um which is 100 percent the point um but it just the, the the songs and the actual singing of them by the actors really kind of detracted from it for me i thought it was really weak i think um, half the problem was was that you had a fantastic piece of acting um, you had a whole scene, and it wasn't like the musical scenes were sort of inserted into the drama. What you had was good acting, good solid scene work, and then the whole the whole movie would stop, and then you would see you would see the musical theater show they were doing on 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 the on the film. It was just that that's when they became uh, musical theater was when they were just they just broke into song after they were acting, and it just didn't really work. It didn't really mesh with the whole story. Um, also, yeah. the songs they it's one of those things where i don't know if i can blame the actors for not being able to sing or the or the songs for not making their talent show as much because a lot of the, yeah, a lot of the a, lyrics it's a combination for me yeah for me a lot of it was mainly to do with the songs because a lot of the lyrics and a lot of the tunes were not very melodic and then the lyrics themselves were very sort of generic buzzwords of like I, you're my everything and stuff like that it was it kind of was there was no power and nuance behind any of the um the songs and yeah there was there wasn't and and in the songs where it was kind of like a solo or a duet there wasn't much passion 
Um, there wasn't much chemistry, and it felt a bit tacky. Mm-hmm. I, I even, I even would go as far as to say that I think that Michaela Cole, who's in the starring role, she plays a, um, a single mother who's looking after a young daughter uh, in central London. She is amazing. Now, I know that Michaela Cole has kind of started getting her foot in the door with kind of like BBC dramas recently, and she's carving quite a good name for herself. Um, and if, if if you can take anything from watching Bean so long, um, it can be quite funny at times, but it can also be very sincere. It's got some really heartfelt moments. But generally speaking, all of the best moments I can think of gravitate around either being her acting on her own or her parts in scenes involving a lot of people. Yep. Um, I didn't think that the central romance, I thought the male co-lead co-protagonist if, if i'm honest i thought it was pretty shit um i didn't think that he was engaging i didn't think that the right i you know it may be the character as well for me i didn't think the writing was very good um it it just it all felt quite basic yeah but yet still it was still enjoyable to watch i didn't really root for raymond as a romantic lead um, I, no. I, at all I think there was a couple of scenes in the beginning where he's at he's 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 come out of prison and he's he's at his friend's christening and he's talking about going on the pool and it happens a couple more yeah. times throughout the throughout the bit and it just makes him seem a bit desperate to have sex and that's not the point yeah. of the romance the point of the romance is oh, he's meeting a girl that's going to change his life out of prison out of being not not in a good job um, but it, it's going to generally change his life. But no, that, yeah, what, no, that doesn't happen. I, I completely agree. I, I also think that, you know, the whole way through the film, you're kind of, I think, you're, I, I think especially by the end of the film, you're meant to think that they're a perfect match and that he's a really nice, genuine guy. But I kept thinking back to like, he's so like body orientated and like cares about his image and his muscles and even like sings about how much of a catch he is at one point. And like, I, I just feel like he represented so much of the like Jack the Lad culture of like dating that I just I didn't really understand what she saw in him mm-hmm. other than just other than just a guy that was there to listen to a degree. Um and, and I think that was a that was a big issue for me in the kind of like the authenticity of the film was because I didn't really think that he was the right fit for her. Um, I, I couldn't really get on with it. Yeah, I agree. Um, I thought that the, the, so the film also follows um, not just the the central romance. It also follows um, Michaela um, Cole's daughter um, in the in the film called Artemis. I think she has some of the best stuff in the film. Um, yeah, great actress, great actress. She doesn't have a she doesn't have a singing role. She's there. She's she was really really doing a good job. Um, I also liked George McKay as Gil, although his part was all over the place. He didn't have really any motivations. Uh, this character essentially, one, he saw a girl once, he fell in love with that girl, he got a nosebleed bleed because she was so beautiful, and then Raymond steals her, and so he's out to stab him. And it's, he's always just treated as a bit of a joke in the film. Yet, Well, he's a drug addict, isn't he, that wanders the streets of Camden? Yes, but that, and that's the general idea of him. But he's so, in a way, pathetic that although he's doing really, really good acting, and it's I really like the de- relationship he, he develops with Yvonne, um, Simone's best friend, later on in the film. But um, 
it's kind of because he's just taking the mick out all the time he just falls over and gets beaten up etc there's no sense of threat and i feel like that's what they were intending to do they were intending with that character to be stupid yet threatening but then yeah but i, I but they also wanted him to be the comic relief aspect and every time he came up in the film i was thinking oh fucking hell are we doing this again yeah and so, so much of it for me was i didn't think his acting was necessarily bad no i think the choreography i thought the choreography was shit because he was kind of acting in a very um kind of a lot of his acting was kind of involving his very erratic and very flamboyant body language um and i understand like you you watch the film and you think yeah like i get it this was definitely a musical on a stage because this is kind of how the actor would be performing this on the stage kind of you know suspension of disbelief kind of working with a bit less than an actual film with a backdrop and an environment and you can the person watching it can really see what you're doing rather than you having to try and um you know get an audience to understand your position by using more of your body language but my problem was I felt like they kept a lot of that that is probably in the stage musical. They they kept a lot of that in for this character. And I just think it ended up, it just ended up looking forced and a bit unnecessary to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I found it all just a bit problematic. Also, I found, I mean, silly thing to pick up, but his backup dancers for his big song would, would throughout the whole film, drove me insane. Because it was like they weren't really... It's like they were they were supposed to be natural, yet at the same time, by being natural, they weren't show stopping. Uh, they that like you couldn't hear any of the vocals. You couldn't. There was there was really no reason for them to be there. And with these big musical theatre numbers, you really have to have the ensemble cast kind of hamming it up in whatever way you do. And I think with the backup dancers and the backup singers in that in uh, Gill's number, I think in the first number where everyone is dancing on the street. It just doesn't feel like the fit anyone's really having that much of a great time. Um, yeah, it, like, it, it all it all felt very forced for me. I I was going to say that the opening number and the closing number were probably the highlights musically of the film for me, um, because it is just fun watching like fifty to a hundred people all you know doing something on screen together, but so many stage plays and films have done more ambitious things before and done much better as a result and it all just feels like i don't know like i mean i don't know how many times they had to redo that first opening number in the market of camden um but it just you look at it and you think are people really having a good time it doesn't feel very genuine exactly and i also yeah and the thing with musical theater numbers as well is that they're supposed to complement the plot and then kind of act as like exposition in themselves um they're supposed to frame the whole narrative and this what you're singing about is more about the emotion at the time that people are feeling and what i felt throughout this whole film was that they were kind of acting they were acting they were acting as if the songs were not attached to them at all like they were very separate and because of this like and just because of the lyrics, they ju- it just felt like the songs didn't really encompass what is Camden. It encompassed while well, this is bad singing. Yeah, I I, I feel like um the, for me the songs got in the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wanted they to see a film that being so long. Yeah, 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 yeah. They didn't advance the storyline for me. 
And to be honest, with musicals, that is one of the fundamental purposes. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, yeah, so um, I, I enjoy... I en- yeah, and we are probably slating it, but the thing I'm slating is the music and sometimes the script. It's not the film, because in the, the film in general, there were so many zingy funny moments... Um, Michaela Cole is yeah, really heart wrenching. Yeah. Uh, her child is really heart wrenching. Her relationship with her mother is a really interesting relationship. Essentially, anything that is built up not by music is essentially fantastic. Yeah, that, that, that's so true. I mean, I feel like we've just shit all over this project for about ten minutes. Like, I enjoyed watching this film, and I, I you know what? I'd like I'd be keen to watch it again at some point. I just wish there was a setting on Netflix where you could go, like you know, like skip introduction. Yeah. If you could just be like skip, skip song. Yeah, literally. <laughs> Do you literally. know what I mean? Like skip song, skip song, skip song. Oh, brilliant! You know, I've watched a good film filled with funny moments, sad moments, and it only lasted about sixty minutes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. TV movies, mate. This is the way to do things. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think to be fair, I think, um, I think we're a bit biased because it, because of our Dancing with Wolves experience. Oh yeah, uh, I don't know if we've ever actually talked about that on the podcast. I think we I think we talked about it first episode where we were essentially like we we were going to do a segment which which encompassed and we still might do this segment um definitely uh, coming up in the future but we we're going to do this segment where we were talking about uh, what should have won the best picture Oscar from sort of our childhood sort of nineteen nineties um, onwards and um, we watched Dances with Wolves and it was four hours and we were like we can't do this we can't do it to ourselves it's, mate. Mate, it, it took me four separate settings to get to the sittings to get to the end of that film. I know. It was just so long. Like, just just too much Kevin Costner. Like, damn man. And then when you finished Answers of Wolves, which is you know what, I like in the end I quite enjoyed it, it was just way too long. Um, you've got four or five other films to do. So this is a project that when we have settled into our podcast, we may continue doing. But um at, yeah, we, we can't <laughs> Dance with Wolves, mate. Make TV movies. Don't make four-hour-long epics. Can't deal with them. Yeah, yeah. I hear you, brother. I hear you. <laughs> um, do you have a favourite moment from being so long? I do. Um, it's the moment where uh, Mika- uh, Michaela Cole's character Simone has a ex-husband, the fa- the or the or ex-boyfriend, the father of um, Artemis, called Kestrel, uh, who is played by Joe Dempsey, who is um, on Game of Thrones as Gendry. Yes, that's right. Can we? Can we? Can we can we briefly talk about the fact that Kestrel is a really cool name? <laughs> I like Kestrel. Kestrel made him sound really like, like the, and and Artemis. Like God, if if there's one thing this film does right, it's fucking names. Is that your favourite moment? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, that, another cool name. One of the characters who's kind of like a love rival to Simone um, with Raymond is just called Wilston because that's where she comes from. That's all the character gets. Um, so that's that's quite fun. But no, my favourite moment Brilliant. is. Um, the the meeting of Raymond and Kestrel um, in the bar where with Artemis who oh makes them... you fucker you've stolen my favourite moment <laughs> uh, well yeah do you want to do you want to finish off the rest of the explanation then we'll share it well, yeah. mate it's just yes yeah, we do one word at a time no, <laughs> um, no so it's um it's just a really nice moment in the film where uh, Kestrel is trying to reconnect with the daughter and Raymond is kind of, Simone's kind of pied him off because she doesn't trust him and she's frustrated. And they all kind of wind up in a bar together and Artemis, the little girl, uh, decides that they should all play a game of truth pool 
where they rack up a pool table and every time someone pots one they get to ask another person a truth question mm. and it's just got it's just quite a sweet moment between a man who's lost a love a man who wants to gain a love and a little girl who has no idea what's going on and shouldn't be in a pub <laughs> in Camden. <laughs> yeah. It all sounds a bit dodgy. It all sounds a bit weird when you say it like that. No, but it's just a really nice scene. sweet moment. It was nice. It was really, really um, nice. Um, so, what, all right, mate. So what would you what would you give it out of 10? Uh, I'm going to give it a 6 because I really enjoyed the film and I would have given it a 7 if the Ooh. music wasn't that bad. Very generous, man. Very, very <laughs> generous. So you would you would recommend that when it comes out on the twenty sixth of October, people go and watch it. Yeah, because I think the acting's really good. I think the acting is is mm. is decent. I think the film has got some really really funny moments in it. Like I chuckled in this film more than I chuckled in a lot of other films that I've seen this summer. Um, now, all right. So so this is going to be controversial. I think this might be the biggest gap in reviewing Mark we've given a film damn. between me and you. Um, I'm going to give it a four. Um, <laughs> I think it's one of the worst films we've reviewed, the more I think about it. Um, there are some heartfelt moments, but they only, for me, really come from Michaela Cole's character, and they don't add up to more than maybe like two or three minutes of the film. Um, I find Raymond quite antagonising, um, and I thought the, the bulk of the film is involving musical numbers, and I don't think any of them landed for me. Mm. Um I, I would say if you're into this kind of stuff and you want to watch something kind of cheap and easy, then give it a whirl. Um, like Will said, it had, like we both said, it has got some nice moments, uh, but I just think there are a hundred better things you could be watching right now, especially on Netflix. Yeah, yeah. There are there are a hundred better things that you can watch, be watching right now, but I would put Being So Long at 101. And I think that, I think, I, and I think there's so much good content that Being So Long might fall under the radar. But I still don't. I still don't think it's the worst film I've seen in a while. I think. It, I think the the good moments really stood out as good, and I can't say that for all the films that we've reviewed on the podcast. So that's why I gave it a six. But that's interesting. Four to six. Mm. Yeah. Makes up a ten between us. Yeah. Ten, 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 out, ten out of twenty. <laughs> yeah, ten out of twenty. Yeah. Half. <laughs> 50%. Right, now, the second film that we went to go see, so we watched that on Friday night, and that was the world premiere, which was very exciting, all the glitz and glamour. Um, On Saturday, we got up, and early afternoon, we went to Leicester Square to watch Aquarella, um, which was a wholly different experience. Um, One that me and Will, I, I think if I speak for both of us, we enjoyed it, we got frustrated by it, we both briefly napped through some of it. Um, Don't mention that on a film podcast. We're so unprofessional. And, uh, um, yeah, all right. So, I mean, there's no better way to explain this film to people because it's a hard one to explain than to actually just read the bio from the production company, Aconite Productions. Um, so it says, Aquarella takes audiences on a deeply cinematic journey through the transformative beauty and raw power of water. Indeed. Filmed at a rare filmed at a rare ninety-six frames per second. The film is a visceral wake up call that humans are no match for the sheer force and capricious will of Earth's most precious element. From the precarious frozen waters of Russia's Lake Baikal, to Miami in the throes of Hurricane Irma, to Venezuela's mighty Angels Falls, water is Aquarella's main character, with director Viktor Kosakovsky capturing her many personalities in startling visual detail. In Viktor Kosakovsky's own words, 
Should I try and do his accent? Well? I like the dramatic clearing of the throat. I don't know. I don't know. No, I definitely can't do this guy's accent. Was he Brazilian, right? Or <laughs> no, Russian? no, he was Russian. He was Russian. He was Russian. <laughs> but, oh no, this is this. Oh no, this is Kosakovsky. No, his name is Kosakovsky. He was like. He was like he, does this sound anything like it? I'm trying to remember. It's like through the lands of water. No, 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 that's crap. Absolutely no. crap. I'll I mean, my d- I mean, don't so, do it, mate. Don't do it. No, to be fair, so, so his accent is, was not this, just. It wasn't just any particular nationality. It was very particular. Really, 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 really yeah, interesting. It was, um, it was quite an experience. But no, anyway, so his description of the film is, through the natural lens of water, you can see, experience, and feel the ebb and flow of all known human emotions. Anger, aggression, peacefulness, nobility, loneliness, jealousy, everything. I want to film every possible emotion that can be experienced while interacting with water. Beautiful emotions along with horrible ones ecstasy and inspiration destruction and human devastation um so as it those descriptions kind of add up this was essentially a near two hour film um just about floating icebergs uh water rain storms and intermixed in it were a few human experiences Mm mm-hmm um, well, it was quite nice for this for the notes on this uh, review because I didn't have to put a cast list because there's no there's pretty much no dialogue. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it, it, hardly any dialogue. Um, any dialogue in this film is kind of sort of off the cuff, and is, you're not really necessarily meant to hear it all. Um, there's some subtitled bits when it's needed. Um, I. For me, Will, this film was split into three parts, right? So the first like half an hour of this movie was probably the most fascinating section. Um, and it was looking at this Russia's, this frozen lake in Russia um, where there's kind of like a little town nearby. And this is all real. This is a documentary. Um, and this huge frozen lake, uh, cars are prone to kind of falling through the ice sheets. Um, and so the first half an hour of the film kind of looks at the job of the team, the crew who essentially find cars under the ice and lift them, like winch them back out. Um, and it kind of, it takes on quite a comical tone for a while, doesn't it? It like, it's quite funny watching these cars like submerged under the ice and then them crack it away and, and hoist them out. Um, and then you kind of you, you see some subtitle conversation between like the owner of a car and the repairmen and the repair guys like oh how did you guys get out of the car when it crashed through the ice and they're like oh we swam out through the boot and you kind of start to think oh fuck like this is actually quite horrible like mm-hmm. do you imagine that happening to you um, and then without really any kind of warning it cuts to a scene that clearly the 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 camera team caught kind of spontaneously of this four by four driving across the ice and then actually crashing into the water um and when you watch it happen you kind of think oh lol um or at least i did i thought it was like mildly entertaining and then quite quickly you think about the fact that shit that's actually like i don't know two or three people that are genuinely in that car that have just gone under a sheet of ice um and they carry on filming and like this team come out to them and the camera essentially cuts to two guys that are like drenched like they're soaking wet and they're like coughing and everything they've just managed to kind of swim out of this car 
um and one of them is like his face is all bloodied like it this is becomes very quickly like a very harsh reality that the these people in this town live in uh that you're kind of experiencing with them and there's like a three minute scene where essentially they're all kind of freaking out because there's a third guy that was in the car that's still in the car under the ice and they haven't been able to get him out um and you you kind of try and you kind of watch them try and get this guy out of the ice they try and like smash through to him and it doesn't kind of it doesn't give you confirmation that the guy died but in like one kind of long take you're watching them try and smash into this ice for about four or five minutes and uh they, they don't have any luck um it's quite intense isn't it mate it is quite intense it's quite an intense i it's it's quite an intense experience the first th- a third of the film um I think I think it really shows the cinematography of the film is beautiful. The ice and the way it's filmed, as of the casual nature of it, is scary. And then it moves into the second and third parts, and you see it films water in such an unbelievable way that you don't think it's water. You think you you think these are made by special effects, but it's not. Every shot in this film is just is created and and done from thousands and thousands and thousands of takes and footage and editing and trying to find these beautiful sequences where water is just at its pure magnificence there's one at the end of the film um where they show a waterfall and the water crushing down and they show just the the water mist and it looks like the clouds and it's just it's just swirling and it it really is visually striking um the the thing i have about this film and maybe this shows what i enjoy about films is that the, the director talked about his takes being two, three, four, five minutes before a single edit. Um, and then normally before there's an edit in a film, it's about 1.2 seconds. So he was trying to read drastically change the way that we watch films. Um, it just felt a bit slow. I've, and I'm, it just it just felt a bit slow and self-indulgent. Uh, and that's a shame because it was so beautifully shot. Um, for me, it was just it, it just became after a while a bit samey and a bit yeah. boring and unless you were fully engaged in the visuals which i wasn't i was maybe because i was expecting something different but unless you're fully engaged in the visual visuals you're just going to be watching water for two hours and some yeah, people and, hate that and, and some people will love it but for me it's yeah, not but, but yeah. I, one of the issues that i think i had with it was more um because it like it, like you said it's shot like it's stunning like it's it's planet earth level beauty um and also being in this big cinema screen that we were in um it was kitted out with this great surround sound system and you were really like there are shots there are camera shots going showing you like the underneath of icebergs and i know that doesn't sound particularly amazing but when you look at it you really do look at it and think wow that, and, and you hear all the bubbling you hear all the water sounds and everything that the camera was picking up down there um and you really feel submerged it really really is an impressive feeling um the problem is after about the first the first 30 minutes that i just kind of went on and on about um kind of followed a narrative um and then i feel like it the, the remaining like 50 60 minutes of the film they kind of every now and then vaguely introduce other humans so like in the whole iceberg section there's like a woman who's traveling on a boat and then in like 
one of the other bits later on. I, I, what other humans are introduced? Well, there's, there's there was someone else, wasn't there? Jake, I have no um, idea. That's when I fell asleep. Don't tell them. Don't tell oh, them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, anyway, anyway. Point being, so we were watching icebergs for what felt like a fucking eternity. Yeah, it was about an hour um, of icebergs. Uh, and this woman gets introduced on this boat and because of the first part of the film I was thinking alright so what's going to happen to this woman like what are we going to see what's the narrative going to be here is this is this film essentially going to be kind of like a collection of short stories of humans struggling in this environment um, but it doesn't really surmount to anything and all you really see is this woman on her boat sporadically for no more than maybe like a minute or two each time and it doesn't show where she's going it doesn't show where she ends up it doesn't really show any grave situation that she's caught in and it kind of just i don't know just it, this film just peters along seemingly without really any purpose and to in in some ways that's kind of to its you know that's a positive because it, it kind of that's all it's really about is connecting you with the energy of this natural element but in other ways i was kind of thinking uh, god it's like 3 p.m. on a saturday do I really, do I really want to watch ninety minutes of this? Mm, yeah, it's just, it's just a struggle to sit through um, for me. And people loved it, and people really really enjoyed it from from the viewing that we saw. People were enthusiastic about it. I saw a man leaving um, the cinema, and he was like, "Isn't it just an amazing day that I could come in and watch a film like that?" And I was like, "Oh, that's really." I know. Sweet. It was like, I was I was I was half tempted to be like, "You're you're so sweet," but. Yeah, how how did you sit through that and have such intensity about it um and it re- yeah. it just really doesn't follow human stories and what the director said which i thought was kind of i just didn't didn't buy it was um that the film that the central character in the film is us because we are the interpreter of the actions it's making us think now i understand that i did an english literature degree that's essentially the memo of the course um but oh, hi, hi, hi. exactly um but I just don't think there was enough content to make you think that deeply unless you were t- unless you were thinking about the the images there was enough there was no actual stories or or sequences of events be, be, being placed at you it was just images and I don't know maybe for an acid trip I'm I'm joking but no it just it just felt a bit confusing as a whole film it just it just it just felt like 90 minutes of blue planet b-roll yeah literally um and 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 don't get me wrong that's gorgeous and on a large sound system it was impressive and everything but uh, the purpose of this film is not to be like environmental or to educate in any way it's just meant to connect you with this element or so they said but the problem i had with that was i found myself more detached than ever because there wasn't really a grounding for why i was watching it mm-hmm. um I don't know. Yeah, it was a difficult one. I mean, do do you have a favourite moment from this film? Um, My favourite moment from this film um, is probably um, the... I've got two. Um, It's the shots of the waterfall at the end, um, and it's got this beautiful yellow hue. I think it's taken at sunset. Um, It's got this beautiful yellow hue, and it's sort of like this yellow water. And it just just looks like a bit like like stardust, almost. It's gorgeous. Um... The second favourite moment from this film was probably the whole episode of the guy falling in and um, and potentially losing someone early on in the film. I thought it was, I thought it was quite a moving stuff and it, got, it did grip me. Um, yeah, what's your favourite moment, mate? 
Uh, you know what? Like aside from that bit at the beginning, there was one bit towards the end that really stuck out to me. Like I, I mentioned in the in the description that they do a bit on Hurricane Irma, kind of ravaging America, and there was just I don't know how they filmed it. They must have filmed it on like a really sturdy car with a really high end camera. But they that that part of the film is essentially just a camera moving slowly like down streets during the storm mm. like during like 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 down actual roads in miami um while like the palm trees are just like flaying chaotically and some of them are kind of uprooting and these cars on the side of the road are looking like they're about to like blow over any minute and windows are breaking and for me i just thought that was really impressive like i really really loved that bit yeah it's kind of really really ferocious really gripping it really does um, stick out yeah so yeah that, that was my favorite bit i i'm gonna be honest mate i don't really think this is a film that we can rate out of 10 i, I mean i don't i don't know how to rate this out of 10 well no well i suppose i suppose we just need to need to rate it on how we how we enjoyed it because i i mean i suppose as a documentary but also as something so abstract as this we we're not i don't really know how we can apply the same grading to it like we have like actual feature films do you know what i mean well i can join do you want me to rate it right now i'm because i because i'll, I'll do it go on, mate. three go on, go on mate what would you three a three one two and three are all for the visuals but then i didn't enjoy it i'm sorry i i, I maybe 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 i just found it pretentious and it really disagreed with me and there are beautiful images in this film but i just i just wouldn't want to spend one i wouldn't want to trick people into me saying go and watch this film it's amazing or go and watch this film it's good or go and watch this film it's meh because i just don't think you need to watch that for two hours it was an uncomfortable cinematic viewing experience for me See, this this is why I don't want to rate it because this is a film that deserves a lot of credit. Yeah, and went and went to extreme lengths, arguably even more extreme lengths than being so long, to be filmed. Um, so I don't want to give it a low rating because it it deserves more than that. But then equally, I I can't really rate it high because I didn't really enjoy it. It's yeah, it's a difficult. You know what, mate? I'm gonna leave it. I'm not gonna review it. Uh, not gonna rate it out of ten. I, I'm afraid. I think I'm. I, I'd need to see more things in this field. I'd need to see more concept documentaries like this to grasp truly where I lie on this kind of on, on rating these kinds of this kind of content. Maybe that's fair. Maybe that is definitely so, so, fair. So you know, maybe maybe we need to fill our diaries, fill our podcasting diary. Well, uh, on Earth, Wind, and Fire. <laughs> Like, like we have some magical black book that like, just pops up and we write things in. Um, no, I, I think we should fill. We, we should try and get a few more documentaries in, mate, and yeah. see if we can actually um, gain a bit more perspective on it. Because I think I, 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 you know, maybe you disagree. I just think we're woefully unequipped to truly, um, you know, make comparisons and draw judgments about a piece of work like this. Or at least I feel I am. I think I'm gonna. I think I agree, but I think that all I can draw on my judgment is that is uh, is uh, is how much I enjoyed it, and that's that's what I'm going with my review. So if you so actually yeah. that gives it gives our listeners the best of both worlds. If you what if you really want to see this film to see the type of documentary behind it, um, the way it's filmed because it's truly stellar, the cinematography, 
um, just if you want, if you know the director and want to see more of his work, um, go and see it and, and please really, really enjoy. And we won't, and we as a podcast is not, are not going to, um, I'm, I'm not going to p- p- put a review on it necessarily badly, but my three um, shows that if you're the person that's not going to enjoy that two hour length of film, don't watch it. So I think that make, makes I, the yeah. best of both worlds. Yeah, I agree. Have you, I'll tell you what, what, have you ever been to one of those like bounce um, things, like those trampoline parks in the UK where you can go for like an hour and jump on all these crazy different things? Oh yeah, I love it. I, I found out I could do a front flip the other day and I was very excited. Brilliant. I love how you haven't like stopped immediately to question why I'm bringing this up. Um, um, I did frown. I was confused. <laughs> so, all right. So I see this film the same way I see my visits to trampoline parks, <laughs> of which I've only had... Sorry. <laughs> I will let you go with it. Just, okay, continue. <laughs> of which I've only had one. Yeah. Um, this, it, it's the same in the sense that... <laughs> Is it? They're both, they're, they're both, they're both experiences that you will do for a like let's say like you book a two-hour slot at a trampoline park right yeah um and or or you go and watch this film for two hours well yeah then, yeah they're, they're, but they're, you could do they're, you could do both you, you couldn't do both shut up and shut up and let me explain Sorry. <laughs> um right so either two hours at trampoline park or two hours of watching aquarella you're going to have the same experience in the sense that after about 20 minutes, you're going to be a bit, you're going to have a great 20 minutes, but after that 20 minutes, you're going to be quite bored. <laughs> yeah. Because I found myself, I found like, I got into the trampoline park, I raced around, I did all the different obstacles and then being a bit unfit and having done everything once, I kind of looked around and thought, fuck, have we got like another hour and 40 minutes of this? Mm-hmm. And you just want to snooze. And that, and 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 that's the and you just want to have a nap and that's the exact same and that is the exact same experience i had with this film well you know what i think that's a better review than get, than giving it a rating jake um it's it's a because wonderful I wouldn't, illusion. I wouldn't say i wouldn't say the trampoline part was shit but i'm equally not in a rush to go back and if i go back i'm only paying for an hour well, <laughs> maybe half an hour yeah fair enough <laughs> but the difference is i wouldn't rate the trampoline park three because the the yeah. 20 minutes but the, but it's see, worth of a seven see, Exactly, and that's why I've just blown open your whole reviewing process, mate. Well, good. <laughs> good. There we there, there we have it, folks. Oh. And no, nothing that we love more on the fifty-two week film project than a bit of clarity. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Well, that that is our reviews of the VFI Film Festival. We have more films coming up. Uh, we have So the Winter to My Skin. Uh, we have also got Outlaw King um what else have we got coming out is that is that our last we've two? got yeah yeah well, well well so i'm seeing outlaw king tomorrow which is the chris pine robert the bruce film Indeed. um the big kind of action historical epic which should be really fun where you see chris pine's going... Willie, apparently yeah apparently it was the star of the uh, venice film festival <laughs> um you then we're then both seeing Dream Away on Thursday, which yes. is another documentary actually, um, which we don't really know a ton about. All we know is that it's about the lives of hotel staff in the now relatively deserted Sharm El Sheikh resort area of Egypt. Um, and then on Saturday, Will and a friend, as I can't make it, are going to see So the Winter to My Skin, which is loosely described as a kind of an African Robin Hood story. Yeah. Um. I, 
I'm gutted I can't be there, um, but I, I trust Will will give a fantastic review. I'm very excited. It's sort of it's um, set in South it's South African apartheid. Um, it, you're right. It is a Robin Hood story. I think it's based on <laughs> Robin kind of, Hood. Robin Hood. Robin Hood's brother is called Robin Hood. W H O E D. Robin Hood. Um, yeah, but very very excited. Very very excited for all of that. Yeah, no, it should be good. Should be very good. So we'll be back with a kind of a second week of BFI film reviews uh, next week. Um, we also, at some point, will man, we need we need to squeeze in watching First Man and Bad Times at the El Royale. We those really are two do. Two films that we were extremely excited for, and we just haven't had the time yet. So um, if we have the time, we might try and squeeze one of them into next week and make it a big old bumperoonie episode. Um, a big old bumperoonie. We'll probably wow. a big a big old bumperoonie. If not, we will probably end up doing them the following week. Yeah. I think that would make well. Either way, it makes sense. I'm desperate to see both films. We are fully in sort of Oscar film Oscar season in terms of the films that are coming out, um, and that probably will get nominated for Oscars. I think Bad Times, First Man, and A Star Is Born all have all are probably contenders for the Best Picture nomination. Um, so we'll see yeah, what happens. They, they, and and alongside A Star Is Born, obviously our uh, borderline favorite film of the year so far. Am I indeed, right? Indeed. Indeed. Um, yeah, so we'll be we'll be hitting you with that next week. Um, thank you very much, Will. Thank you very much, thank Jake. You for a, thank you for a very bizarre, um, strange and somber, insightful um, cacophony of news and reviews. <laughs> we should put that on the blurb. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah, it'd be great. We should we should save that as a soundbite. Right. Anyway, we can have this conversation later. Thank you very much, everyone. Um, make sure to like and subscribe. Um, we've actually had some really great reviews coming in recently on iTunes. Woo! Fantastic. Thank you, everyone. Um, if you haven't done it. If you haven't done it, uh, but it's on your to do list. Please make sure you.